All right. So we're in a series called Partnering with Grace. And uh, this week we're going to continue in that series. We're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 5. So you can look that up if you want to. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most famous sermons ever given. It's probably the most famous sermon ever given. From it, we, we draw a lot of uh, cultural references. This is one of the, uh, the golden rules kind of shaped around a lot of the information found in the Sermon on, on the Mount. Um, but uh, gentlemen, if you could play the, the video for me. And excuse the poor quality of the video. In 2007, you might have heard about this. Joshua Bell, who's one of the most talented, one of the foremost violinists in the entire world, came into D.C. and in the atrium of the metro station, he played a $3.5 million Stradivarius violin. Now, I'll tell you, uh, it doesn't matter how valuable the violin is if you don't know how to play the violin. It's not going to sound good. So what you had is the premier violinist playing the premier violin in the atrium of the metro station and everybody just cruised on by. They didn't appreciate what was right in front of them. One person recognized him sometime in the last couple minutes of this 45 minutes of playing his violin. One person recognized him and, and was able to catch two minutes before he stopped playing. A couple other people stopped for a few brief moments. There's some, um, there's some stories online that talk about how a kid stopped and his mom grabbed him away. That's an urban legend. That didn't happen that way. But either way, it's true that very few people stopped. And you see guys kind of hanging out there. You see different people hanging out there against the column and watching this guy and kind of drinking in this remarkable thing that's happening in the midst of them. Uh, in 45 minutes, he made about $30 in tips which is pretty good for a 45-minute, you know, if I made that much in 45 minutes, I'd be a happy man. But in just a few days, he would sell out a concert hall with $100 tickets up in New York City. And he would do that night after night after night after night after night because of the level of his talent. So when I hear stories like this, or you hear stories, you can go ahead and fade that out. But as you hear stories about uh, the old lady who has this this ring of great value up in her up in her attic and she just thought it was nothing. And then she passes away and people look at her stuff and they realize that this woman has had a $10 million ring in her attic that she didn't even know was valuable. She thought maybe it was costume jewelry or something, something fake. And, and so people are walking around with things of great value. It's circulating in our money. We have dimes and pennies that are worth more than dimes and pennies, right? Sometimes the penny is worth a cent and a half. Sometimes the, the penny's worth 10 cents. It's a pretty good investment on a penny. Right? Sometimes the dime is worth 25 bucks. It's a pretty good investment on 10 cents. And these things are circling around in our, in our culture. You may have held change that's worth more than the value that you ascribe to it because it was made in a different time or there's an error on it. Upwards of hundreds of dollars could have passed through your hands in the form of a coin because you didn't realize the value that was in your hand in that moment. And in the Sermon of the Mount, I believe it's Jesus warning everybody that there's something of great value that you're going to miss because it seems ordinary if you don't pause to recognize that this is something that is extraordinary. 
And if you don't pause to recognize that this thing is extraordinary, you're never going to use it the way that it was designed to be used. And so what is this thing of great value? It's our life. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 17, Jesus says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do the people set a lamp, light a lamp and set it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is God's word to us. Jesus, we love you. I ask that you would inspire us today. What is your great purpose for us as individuals? And what is your great calling for us as the church? In Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus pulls away with his disciples from a crowd. And he goes up on a hill and he starts to speak to them. And this is, he starts with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Those things. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. And he's talking to them because, and, and he's sharing the secrets of the kingdom of heaven with them because he doesn't want to miss it. Because weakness won't look like somebody who's got a great inheritance. Weakness would look like frailty and something that's useless. Pure in heart won't look like somebody, somebody who's going to inherit something extraordinary. Pure in heart would look like somebody who's ignorant. You ever seen somebody who's pure in heart? Somebody who's a little bit, um, who's a little naive? Bless their heart. Because they're naive, they just don't understand. And really what we're doing is we're celebrating that we've been corrupted. They just don't know. Well, are you glad that you do? I mean, I referenced the song last week. I was like, I shouldn't have referenced that song. And it was like, I told on myself by referencing it. And that's the joke that I know the song too. Why do I know that song? Why do I know those lyrics? Why can't, why can't I get them out of my head? I wish I was the person who didn't know the song. Because that person doesn't have to sort through anything. Not as much anyway. That said, we all have to sort through stuff. There's no... Nobody's exempt from that. So don't... I'm not heaping condemnation if, you, if you're like, I knew this song too, and oh gosh, I'm a terrible person. No. That's not, what, that's not what's happening right now. These are these secrets that God was sharing with his disciples aren't secrets that he wanted to keep from us. They're secrets that he wanted to share with us. God wants to give you the inside scoop of his heart. But he's not just going to give it to anybody. If you're wondering why God's not speaking to you, but you're not taking time and reading your Bible, that's probably why. If you want God to speak to you and inspire you and help you understand your purpose, but you're not taking time to, to spend with him or time to pray or time to serve alongside those who are pushing his mission forward, that's, that's probably why. Because he can't just share with you if you're all about your own business because you're not going to do anything with it. And so what he's doing is God is looking for people who are going to hit the pause button and stop and listen for a minute and listen to his heart. Because he wants to share with us. He wants us to be in the know. And in verse 28, at the end of this, after the the scripture that I just read, the way this part of this passage concludes, we learn that there's a crowd present. 
And I think what was happening is Jesus walked with his disciples away from the crowd. He's like, I got some things I want to share with you. I got some secrets we're going to talk about. And he gets up and he starts teaching his disciples. And as he's teaching, because of the power and the authority on his life, because of the miracles that were being done, because of the depth of his wisdom, because of the authority of his speech, the crowd started coming again. But Jesus didn't just shut off. He kept teaching. He's like, all right, disciples, there's a crowd gathering around you. I've got some secrets for you, but I don't mind them listening in on these secrets. But to them, it's going to be like the inside joke that they don't fully get. They're going to hear these things, but they're not going to understand the depth of the revelation or the significance of the revelation that Jesus is sharing with them at the level that the disciples understood it. The same thing happens here on Sunday mornings. We'll be talking about something and somebody who is in Jesus, somebody who's walking with Jesus is going to hear that. They're going to, the faith is going to rise up and God's going to start correcting because the Holy Spirit, as I'm preaching, is speaking to every one of us if we would listen. And he's bringing correction and he's bringing instruction and he's bringing faith and he's calling out salvation. And as I, as I speak, God is doing that. And so for some of you, you'll, you can walk away from the worst sermon in the world and be like, that was good stuff. Not because, not because the pastor did a great job, but because you were ready to receive from the Holy Spirit. John Piper, one of the, one of the, one of the great teachers in, in the United States right now, said that a mature Christian can learn from the most immature preachers. Because people were like, what do we do? He's got this thing, ask, ask Dr. John or ask Pastor John. And, and so he, he does this podcast where people can write in questions and he tells people how to deal with the questions that they're wrestling with. And so the question was, what do we do when our pastor doesn't speak as well as you and their revelation isn't as great as you? And, you know, can I carry your bags? And I'd love to just be your child. Will you please adopt me? <laughs> you know, and they were like puff, like giving all this accolade to him. And he's like, he's like, well, you exposed your immaturity in your question. And he's like, thanks for complimenting me, <laughs> you know, like take that. But a mature believer can, from, can learn from and can receive from an immature person because they're listening to the Holy Spirit and allowing God to drive things forward, not rest, waiting for the person to drive things forward. I thought that was wonderful. That's nowhere an excuse for times that I don't do well. That's not like a self-motivating thing. That's uh, in John Piper's church. But it's kind of like a, an inside joke. You might get the general idea of the joke, but you don't really fully understand the joke. But it makes you want to kind of get on the inside so that you can understand it in the future, right? You ever been in a group of people and everybody's like, oh, that's great. And somebody tries to explain it to you and you're like, oh, I don't get it. But I kind of want to hang out with you guys so that I can be a part of the next one. The same thing kind of happens with Jesus in this moment as he's preaching and he's like, these guys on the crowd, they're going to hear it and hopefully it, it stirs something up in them and faith starts to grow in them. They're not going to fully understand it, but hopefully it creates an appetite for them so that they become in pursuit of me and not just me in pursuit of them. Jesus is talking to his disciples in verses 13 through 17. That's the path, that's the, the section that we read. And he's saying, you are a distinct and precious people. You have the ability, you have the responsibility to preserve things. You have to preserve specifically truth. You have the responsibility to be a light in the darkness. You have a responsibility to expose things of the enemy. You have the responsibility to illuminate things that are true and to highlight things that are untrue. This, this is your job in the earth. But if you're not paying attention, you're not going to do it. 
This echoes what I see in Exodus 19.5, if you remember from our series on the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments didn't start with the commands. It started with a conversation between God and his people many years earlier, but the most closely related part of the conversation is in Exodus 19, verse 5, where God says, Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for the earth is mine. Jesus is telling the disciples the similar thing. You are my treasured possession. You are mine. You are distinct. You are special. You're not the same. And don't be the same. Be salty. Be lighty. God's great hope for us is that we would know him. That we would delight in him. That we would have pleasure in him forevermore. And in the process, we would change the world for his glory. If I had to summarize these three verses into one sentence, it would be this. Don't waste your life. I thought all week about a more positive way to say that, but I couldn't think of one. Don't waste your life. He didn't start by saying you could be salt. You might be salt. He says you are the salt of the earth. Don't be anything but salt. You are a city on a hill. Do not hide yourself. I think the reason that we hide ourselves is because we're ashamed of the things that we've done. Or we're ashamed of what we're not. But those are the very things that Jesus died for. When we want to hide because we're not salt and we're not light, we're only exposing our own, our own bias and thought that somehow the work of Jesus isn't enough and that I need to be more. The work of Jesus is sufficient for forgiveness and eternal life. Now, we've got to cooperate with it. You can't outwork a bad diet. Why am I not more sanctified? What are you watching on Netflix? Why am I always cussing? What are you listening to on the radio? You know, when I was, when I was first um, getting in shape again uh, a few years back, I was, uh, I was working out, but I wasn't seeing any results. And, um, you know, I thought it was the workout's fault. I was like, man, I'm sore all the time, hurting. This thing, this workout's broken. I'm sore all the time, man. I'm not even losing weight. I'm not, I'm not even getting stronger. And so I was talking to my, my friend, and, he, and he, he looked at me and poked me and put a fat caliper on me. And, you know, yeah, those things hurt. That was visceral. Um, but, uh, and, and he's like, okay, I know what your problem is. I was like, right, my metabolism stopped. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah. You're like, I know things about science. And he's like, nope, wrong science. It's like, because I'm a dad of four kids, right? And he's like, nah. He's like, dang. What are they? And he goes, you're not drinking enough water. And you're eating the wrong food. I was like, you're eating the wrong food. I was like, I see what you're eating. I see what you do for breakfast. Egg whites and chicken breast with nothing on it. It's disgusting. That's pathetic. You need to put some ham and some vegetables and some cheese in that thing. And now you're cooking. Now, yeah, yeah. 
An omelet is like breakfast nachos. So for those of you that know my affection for breakfast nachos, you don't eat a chip. You know, a burrito is like a lazy man's nacho. They didn't even want to fry the chips. And they're like, you don't have to reach up as many times. It's like more in one bite. What are we talking about? Keep talking about diets. You cannot work a bad diet. You can't do it. And so he's like, you need, to, you need to start drinking more water and you need to drink it on regular intervals and you need to change your diet. If you're not growing in sanctification, if you're not feeling very salty, if you're not feeling very lighty, maybe you got to change your diet. And then you'll realize, oh, okay, maybe I can't listen to that music. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't approach things this way. And the work of Jesus could start to have its way in me. You want deeper things of God? Sanctify yourself. Set yourself apart. You can't both be saying, I want the deeper things of God, and then listening to Rihanna. Rih- I can't even say her name. Rihanna, is that her name? Wow, that was... I, had, I know how to say her name, by the way. I'm not that irrelevant. If you're here and you like her, whatever. Beyonce, I pronounced that correctly. That's really funny on the podcast. It's terrible. There are three primary stewardships, three primary ways that I believe that we can let our, our, our light shine and we can be salt in the earth. And these have to do with stewardship. The first stewardship is truth. Above and beyond anything else, we need to be stewards of God's truth. And that alone will set us apart as distinct people in the earth. Being stewards of truth is not just being a steward of your opinion of the truth, but it's being a steward of the truth itself. And the truth is not something that the X-Files says, the truth is out there. No, the truth isn't out there. It's, it's right here. You don't have to go searching for, for the truth in the cosmos because it's been revealed to us in Jesus Christ and it's been recorded for us by the people that saw him and walked with him and knew him. And it's been recorded for us so that we can just open this thing up and we get to approach the very heart and mind of God. The truth is right here. The truth, of the, the truth isn't out there. But because God has set eternity in the hearts of men, we learn in Ecclesiastes, even scientists are desperate to go and learn because there's, we know there's more than this life right here. So we're like, maybe if there's life on Mars, we could figure out how we came to be. Because they want truth too. Let's uncover the truth and figure out the truth of why we're here. Fortunately, we, get, we have a God who lives outside of time, who decided to step inside of time and say, I am the truth. You don't have to look for me somewhere else. I am the truth and I'm right here. And he's available to us now by his Holy Spirit through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. We need to be stewards of this truth. There are some things that I'm willing to be like, eh, that may be true, that may, may not be true. I'm willing to let that go. And then there are things where I know that this is absolutely the truth and I'm unwilling to separate from that. And I will give my life for it. Should the pastor wear nicer shoes on Sunday? You can decide that, but that's more opinion than it is a truth. Our cultural upbringing will tell us it's true that this needs to be this way. But the Bible will tell us it's true that Jesus Christ is God. And we've got to sort through those things. Science, mankind is consumed with the pursuit of truth because God has set eternity in our hearts and we long for it even if we don't want even if we don't really want the answer. The reality is sometimes we get the answer. We didn't like it. And so we go looking other places. Whether that's another religion, 
whether that's by suppressing religion completely, whether that's by blaming everybody else for not meeting your standard. But we get the truth and then we reject that truth looking for, for something else that's more palatable, something that's, that makes us feel better about ourselves. I don't have a lot of this, so I'm going to keep moving on, and that's time. You have only so many days of your life, so many hours and minutes that God has assigned for you on this earth. Time is a valuable thing. It's a valuable resource, maybe the most valuable resource. Gladiator, the movie had that saying, you know, what you do here will echo in eternity. You know, and it's true that we've got 80 years on average or something to make a mark and to make decisions that affect all of eternity for us and for others. What a great responsibility. I get stressed out about what to eat at a restaurant, and that's only going to affect the next hour if I have to talk a lot. You've got 80 years to decide eternity. Even people who don't share the same values as myself or don't have Christian worldview or, or a, uh, an Orthodox Christian worldview will, will say, uh, recognize the value of time. Charles Darwin said, a man who dares to waste one hour of time has not discovered the value of life. Even non-believers understand that time is valuable and it's irreplaceable. But only a believer will know how to maximize that time. Only a believer will understand the best use of that time and understand the opportunity and walk in it to its fullness. Because only a believer can do it and experience this time with the fullness of life. just a, a, a cue to help us steward our time well. I know that for me, it's like if I, just, if I just, instead of turning on Pandora when I got bored, if I just paused for a couple minutes and asked the question, God, what would you have me do today? You know, just a couple minutes. I, I, I tested this. It works. You know, like when, I, when, you're, when you're getting dressed in the morning or when you're kind of fumbling around the house getting ready, maybe instead of turning on the news or turning on your TV or turning on your station, right, and watching something in the background, what if, what if during that moment you were like, God, can you just speak to me about what you would have me do? And it's going to shock you what the answers will be. Because like I said earlier, he is eager and waiting and willing and excited about sharing secrets with you and watching you walk into the fullness of what he's called you to be. He's excited about you being salt. He's excited about you being light. And he'll empower you and give you everything that you need to be able to be that. I know in the moments where I've done this, in this last week, just trying it because I thought of it, then I was like, I wonder if that works because I don't want to tell you to do it if it didn't work, but it, it works. Not turning on your radio as soon as you get in the car and instead asking God, hey, is there somebody you would have me have me talk to at work? And and he's been faithful to drop either a name on my heart or a phone call on my heart or a text on my heart or an email on my heart to reach out to someone and just just give them a little a little just God wink that, hey, I just wanted to check in with you. I was praying and God put you on my heart. You know, what's just hi. 
Sometimes they'll tell you to do a thing, right? It'll be like, hey, pick up your socks and put them in the hamper, idiot. <laughs> right? And that way I can tell my wife's been praying. She's praying for her husband. Maybe I shouldn't put the towel on the wood thing on the bed, right? The wet towel. I was just not hadn't I didn't have it on a wad on the floor. JC, I thought I was doing pretty well. Just take two minutes. You can tag that onto your five for five. Right, it's going to turn into a lot more than five minutes. But it'll be the best three hours of your life. No. <laughs> now, what are we up to? We're up to, how long did I say to pray for your five friends? So we got five minutes in the word, two minutes to listen to God and be like, what should I do? And then depending on how fast you pray, it'll be about 15 seconds to about three minutes praying for your five friends, right? <laughs> I think fast, God. I got it covered. <laughs> the third thing that we need to steward is our things. It's your money, your resources, your body. Your things. Whatever counts as things to you. Your car, your clothes. We could put relationships in there. All your thing, have everything else. That'll just be, I should have just said miscellaneous. I should have said, you know, truth, time, and everything else. <laughs> How is this? Let me say this first. This isn't a message about questioning every decision you've made or lamenting the bad decisions that you've made. Lamenting the time you've spent badly. That's not what this is about. And if you're doing that, go ahead and just right now change your mind about what we're talking about. This is a message about partnering with the grace of God to be salt in the earth and to be a city on a hill. Because it is, it is impossible for natural man to fulfill this teaching. There's far too much of you to be salt and to be light. We need to partner with the grace of God. It's not a, it's not a moral superiority thing and pull yourself up by the, by the bootstraps. This is, not, this is not that. This is recognize your humility and your brokenness and your inability to be what God is calling us to be and ask him to make us into that. That's what this is. You won't share the gospel well enough. If you lead somebody to Jesus, it's not because you did great. It's because God did something amazing. If you pray for somebody and they get healed, which we're seeing a lot of right now, and it's not because your prayer was somehow, uh, like you are somehow something extraordinary. It just means you positioned yourself well and God's seeing fit to use you right now. The way that you know whether or not God is leaning on you and willing to use you is you position yourself to be used by praying for people. God has never told me ahead of time if he was actually going to heal somebody or if somebody was actually going to come to Christ or not. So I actually just start the conversation and, hey, God, maybe you're doing this thing. And it's a delight to see it when he does. And, and it's like, wow, God was really moving in that moment. It's the grace of God that makes us able to hear his instruction. It's the grace of God that gives us the ability to, to 
act upon and to respond to the things that we do here. If we are going to be the salt of the earth in a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, it will only be because we decided to humble ourselves and allow the grace of God to wash over us, to make us new and to transform us into something different than we would be on our own.